Before we begin this episode, we want to thank this month's sponsor, Reload Love. Reload Love is a nonprofit helping children who are caught in the crossfires of terrorism. We're super thankful to be a part of this cause and that we get to share it with all of you. Visit ReloadLove.com for more information. You may not always see it, but there is a lot of sweet in every mess and in all of the mundane. Exodus 3.8 is a promise to deliver us from the brokenness of life into one filled with hope. We are here to remind you of God's faithfulness and how His love can lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Join us, Lindsay and Amaris, as we get raw and share practical wisdom for all things marriage, motherhood, faith, and womanhood. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. This is the Milk and Honey Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Milk and Honey Podcast. This is Lindsay and I am here with Amaris. Hey. And our guest, Lenya Heitzig. Hey there. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited to have you. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your family and your roles in ministry? Absolutely. Well, I'm married to Skip Heitzig, who's the pastor of Calvary Albuquerque. And um, the kids in the Sunday school have fondly named me Mrs. Skip. And I'm okay. Oh. <laughs> so I have a Bible actually inscribed Mrs. Skip. And that's How pretty cute. cool. I have one son, Nathan, and he is 33 years old. I would have loved more kids. I lost two pregnancies. So um, when I lost those pregnancies, I asked God if I couldn't be fruitful physically, if he would make me fruitful spiritually and give me spiritual children. And so that's always been a delight to me. And I have a lot of adopted godchildren. Um, yeah. so that's, that's a happy place. Levi Lusco is my godson. And some of that, I've been doing women's ministry for my word over 30 years, probably. I've written 13 women's Bible studies. I've written two other books that have not to do with Bible study, but they're fun. And I teach the women's study at Calvary, and our average semester has about a thousand ladies. Part of what we are excited about today is about three, four years ago, I started an endeavor called Reload Love. Mm -hmm. And it was during the rise of ISIS and, of course, Bashar Assad in Syria. And I saw what they were doing to children, and it broke my heart. And I was Mm -hmm. in the shower asking God, what could I do? And the Lord gave me this idea to collect spent bullet casings, turn them into beautiful brass charms, and then the proceeds would go to help kids impacted by terror. So that's been the latest uh, thing in my life. As a result, I have climbed through the jungles of Burma. I have been in tunnels of ISIS in Iraq and swept plains of Jordan. So it sent me on an adventure I didn't anticipate. And what has that adventure done for you? How has that impacted your life? Of course, radically changed me. I was a part of Youth with a Mission when I was single. So I've always had a mission heart in tandem to being a pastor's wife. And so my heart has always been, honestly, for, I used to say, loving the unlovely. It's easy to love people like you and love people with your hair color, skin color, eye color, but it's not always easy to get outside your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And Jesus gave us that strong challenge to love your enemies. And so I have always wanted to reach to some of the lowest places 
And so being able to be with people at their worst moments has been an honor and a privilege um, to see them in such devastation. Of course, that makes you an empath and you carry that. But currently, Reload Love, um, since ISIS has been um, dismantled largely in Syria, mm-hmm. we are actually helping the families of ISIS, mothers and children, who have mm-hmm. come out of having been with ISIS people mm-hmm. and literally loving our enemies, literally mm-hmm. giving them clothes and food and trying to intersect and show them that I believe, you know, God is love and love triumphs over evil. And, uh, you know, that's our call, love God and love our neighbors. And Jesus made it clear our neighbor was anyone in need because the Samaritan that he ended up talking the parable, that was a non-liked ethnic group. The Jews would have separated themselves from the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. And uh, so they were scorned in that society so that Jesus would say to help a Samaritan, he was telling them, help those not like you. And uh, so I consider it the greatest privilege of all to learn to love people not like me. As a matter of fact, people that I would naturally have an antipathy for mm-hmm. and seeing what God can do with love. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you are fulfilling the commands to share the gospel, to share God's love to the ends of the earth. And that's so powerful. And from a little town, I mean, kind of little Albuquerque, I have a funny story, Lenya. For those of you who don't know, Lenya is in my city. So Lindsay City in Albuquerque, Calvary, Albuquerque is where I gave my life to Jesus. Um, Yeah. Skip was teaching and my mom had been sharing the gospel with me for years and years. And there was one day that God just really pulled on my heart. And after that, I started going to the college youth groups through Calvary, um, which was called Renovate at the time. But shortly after that, I went to Germany and we were on a train and the German train conductor was listening to Skip on his radio. Yeah. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. I was so blown away. So he's reaching, you're reaching, and it's so beautiful. And we're so encouraged to have you and to see really just the the beauty and the action that can be taken by women, by believers to reach the ends of the earth. So we're really encouraged by you. Amen. Wow. That's so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, of course. So we want to dive in with you um, and just hope that you're comfortable having some open conversations, personal conversations with us. We love and respect what you're doing. And we know that your position can't always be the easiest. Um, I'm sure there have been challenges along the way. So we just want to talk about those things a little bit. Have you ever found that your role in position in ministry specifically has made it difficult to be vulnerable with the people around you? Absolutely. Uh, First of all, being a pastor's wife isn't so different from being a human being. And I would say that's a human experience, not just a pastor's wife experience. I think that we all hit it, whether it's in school and someone bullied us or at work and whatever it is. But of course, by nature, um, I bump up a lot against people in crisis. You know, a church is more like a hospital. And so you have people and sometimes you need to triage. Sometimes they're in crisis. And when we're in crisis, we're not usually our best selves. That's usually when we hurt the most and we're most likely to lash out or be passive aggressive. So you do bear in mind that when you deal with human beings, 
you're not just dealing what you see, you're dealing with what has impacted or hurt mm. them. And yeah. so I think if you keep that kind of compassion of um, not just who am I talking to, but what made them this way. Mm. And uh, so you're trying to see behind that. Also, I would say as a leader, and this is one of the more difficult things, I think we're called to a higher standard and it is the standard of love. And if you look at Corinthians, love believes, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. We had moved to California for a season to take over a church so we could help our pastor, Chuck Smith. And the church just didn't understand some of the changes that were happening, and it was causing a great deal of pain. And I was at a potluck, and a group of women came up to me and told me they hated my husband, that we were ruining the church, and that they didn't want us there. And so that's not an easy thing to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have heard other leaders say, sometimes you as a leader, let those things implode. In other words, I take the blow mm-hmm. and I let it sit. I don't throw it back. I turn the other cheek and then I try and reframe or reset and say, well, I think if you knew Skip, you might not feel that way. And if you knew his motives and weren't projecting or assuming what those motives were, it might give you a different perspective. And so trying to respond in kindness isn't always easy, but I believe as Christians, love has self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. And in this society, I don't know that very many people practice self-control anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I can drive down the street and I've had people flip me off for no apparent reason. At least I couldn't figure out what I did. (laughs) So, you know, I think that sometimes you're just supposed to take it Mm -hmm. and offer kindness and love in response. Um, I I like to phrase it, respond in the opposite spirit. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I like that. What, What would you say is the balance of being guarded and being open with the people that may not be closest to you, but that are under your leadership? That's really good. Honestly, you can't have intimacy without vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. The more vulnerable you are with your husband or your friends, the deeper the intimacy grows. And so you can't completely throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, now I put a barrier, a safety around my heart. No one's going to get that close again. Um, That's not an option. However, I think that people need to walk in wisdom. And so one of the examples I have is Jesus had been doing miracles and multiplying bread and all kinds of things. And in John 2.23, it says he was in Jerusalem at Passover. Many people saw his signs that he was doing and they were following him. And the next phrase says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. Mm-hmm. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Right. Mm-hmm. What I would say from that is Jesus knew there were times that you could endear yourself and times you could not. And in that context, what it really meant is they were following him for bread. They were following him for miracles, but not for salvation and not for the good news. They were being motivated by the flesh, not by the spirit. So he didn't make known to them all that was in his mind or his will. 
I kind of joke, you know, that movie with Jack Nicholson where he goes, you can't handle the truth. My (laughs) husband quotes that all the time. (laughs) Well, some people can't handle the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And especially as a leader, I may see things in people that I know need to be corrected, or I see the root of pain or the root of bitterness, but it's not always my job to point it out. Right. I might pray for them and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to them. Right. So me doing that, no one likes a mirror. You know, a mirror yeah. tells the truth. And right. sometimes we think it's our job to hold a mirror up to someone and say, look, you got a zit. Did you know you had a zit right there? <laughs> hey, look at that. Did you see one eye smaller than the other eye? I mean, that's kind of weird or whatever it is. No one appreciates that. So it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit will do it. Now, if the Holy Spirit tells me, yes, be the voice, I will. But there's some things people can't handle. So I would say if Jesus really was as intimate and self-revealing as he could have been with everybody, it'd be like mind blown. I mean, they couldn't handle it. You couldn't handle that much. And, And even Jesus had concentric circles of intimacy around him. And I I think it's something for us to consider. There were the multitudes in one concentric circle. And then it says there were 70 that followed him and they moved in closer. And then there were the 12 disciples. They're even closer still. And he revealed most everything to them. But he also had a trio of Peter, James, and John. Mm -hmm. And they got in the closest So for whatever reason, Jesus felt they could handle it or that he trusted them. And this uh, certain group of guys got even a closer glimpse of things. So I would just say that there's wisdom in that. And um, it doesn't mean that I don't remain vulnerable But like you guys, sometimes I know when someone wants to know Lenya Heitzig or they want to know Skip's wife Hmm. and try as I may to be Lenya, I could belch in front of them to try and make myself more human. They still wouldn't let me out of that box. Hmm. They would still keep me in the box of their projection of who I am or what they want from me. And so sometimes I realize this isn't a genuine reciprocation and therefore it's not wise for me to disclose myself because not all people come to you with genuine, real motives. Yes, that's incredibly profound. Yeah, I actually had someone teach me that long ago because I used to be much more open and kind of share the dirty details, for lack of a better term, of my life to anyone and everyone. And I started to find that either those things are being spread or um, that it wasn't being held with careful hands. And someone came to me and told me about the three and the 12 and the 70 and how important it is to hold tight to those three and to know that they're your safe place. But again, to not withhold from the 12 and the 70, but just to be more wise. So that's very encouraging. Thank you so much. So our next question is that a common myth that we see in our society is the notion that vulnerability is a weakness. And so in turn, we often will close ourselves off to people, especially if we've been hurt or had pain before. And oftentimes shame and fear and everything else have the ability to cloud our judgment to prevent us from opening up. 
So in your opinion, how do vulnerability and accountability in our lives as Christians offer us freedom that can only be found in Christ? So good. Vulnerability and accountability, they almost sound like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. I would say the human experience is, if I, and I'm sure if I said this to you guys, our greatest desire is to be known for who we are and fully accepted for who we mm-hmm. are. Yes. And that is such a deep need to be truly yourself and be loved for yourself. Yeah. So we all cry out for that, but we aren't very generous to offer it. Mm -hmm. I'd say that is definitely a core need. And I also think a little bit, you can't give what you don't have. And what I mean by that is God, when we define his love is agape love, right? Right. It is an otherworldly love. It is a love that loves the unlovely, that loves despite, that love. It is a whole different love than this world understands. Part of my frustration with, I think, sometimes millennials is the way they define love. Hmm. And um, so I'm like, we're having a conversation, but we haven't defined the terms. And love can have a lot of terms, right? Like, I don't want to love my husband like I love pizza. Mm-hmm. And I don't love God like I love having a new car. <laughs> you know, yeah. there are different levels of love. And unconditional love is agape love. Most of us have not experienced that. And so I believe when we're born again, we come into this place where the son gives us access to the father who loves us unconditionally. And I think once you experience that, that now that you have it, you can give it. But if you haven't experienced it, how can you give what you don't know or you don't have? So the compelling thing for me is that I want the women that I work with to know there is an unconditional love. And I may not be the best channel of it, but I always try to work toward love, to work toward love thinks the highest. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not parade itself. You know, love thinks no evil. I think for women, our hardest thing is we project a lot. Yes, we do. Well, she snubbed me. She didn't invite me to the party. Oh my gosh, on social media, they didn't like my thing. And da, 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 or this group got together and I wasn't invited. And it's very hard to project unconditional love in that format. And uh, so I think that until you've experienced it, this born again, your heart is made new and you are now a conduit of love. It's hard for you to receive it or give it Mm. until you've had that experience. And then so that's what I would say to your audience, the compelling. There is unconditional love. It does exist. It's a biblical term. It's a supernatural term. And then, you know, we get down to that love as a choice, right? I get up in the morning and if Skip ticked me off the night before, his breath stinks or whatever, (laughs) I may not feel like I love him that day, right? Right. But I make the choice to love him anyway. And my feelings follow my choices. So I think that people say, well, that's hypocritical. 
you know, if it's not genuine, you know, you're not really feeling the love, you shouldn't do it. I disagree. I yeah. uh, God makes a choice to love us because of the yeah. blood of Christ. Right. right. And because of that, he makes loving overtures. Therefore, when my marriage was skipped, of course, I feel love. But a lot of times I choose love. And so in that, I'm providing him the opportunity to be vulnerable because he knows he's sitting across from love. Mm. If he's not sitting across from love, it's very hard to be vulnerable. So I just encourage people more and more that they encounter God in that love. And the more you have it, the more you can give it. It's like a love revolution, right? Hey friends, we are all about being on mission and Reload Love is doing just that. Over 21 million children worldwide have been left homeless over the last decade due to terrorist attacks. Reload Love helps these little ones by providing trauma relief, medical supplies, academic programs, and safe spaces like playgrounds for children victimized by terrorism. They raise awareness by collecting used bullet casings, melting them down, and upcycling them into beautiful brass pieces, symbolizing God's redeeming love for oppressed and orphaned children. If you have a heart for children or you're looking for somewhere to give or you're just looking for some beautiful new jewelry, you can join the Love Mint with Reload Love by investing in their jewelry. The profit from all jewelry sales goes toward arming children with hope. Use code MHPOD for 20% off all jewelry at ReloadLove.com. That's M-H-P-O-D at ReloadLove.com. Check out the links on our show notes below for more information. Those are some of my thoughts. I don't know if I answered that. But yes, <laughs> yeah, you time. did. You're, I think Amaris and I are both quiet because you're just like preaching to our hearts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I feel like this overwhelming sense of, I just want to listen and, and yeah. learn from you. So Praise the Lord. Love does that, doesn't yes. it? Mm-hmm. And it's what we cry out for the most. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why it's hard to be vulnerable with your husband sometimes. You got to tell him, I am such a creep. And <laughs> I remember when Skip and I were first married, my um, major in college was fashion merchandising. So, oh, wow. um, Lindsay, you've been around me. So, you know, mm-hmm. I love clothes. I love yes, fashion. I <laughs> that was my major. I can't help but do these outward expressions of aesthetic. I see the world that way. And I remember we were newly married and I wanted new shoes and I bought these shoes, but I thought Skip would shame me. So I hid them in the closet (laughs) in this bag and I figured I'd leave them there for a month. And then the first time I wore them, if he said, are those new? I'd say, no, I've had them for a long time. That's clever. (laughs) And the uh, women were so conniving. And so I was so busted by God. And he said, no, ma'am. You may not bring dishonesty into your relationship. So I put the Mm. shoes on the bed in a bag. And when he got home, I showed him and he was like, oh, good, honey. I'm so glad you did that. And I was like, how unfair of him not to have the opportunity to unconditionally love me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't allow dishonesty, but vulnerability. So I'm going to tell him when he gets home from work and he's just busy, had a bad day. He goes in his office. He's decompressing. He picks up his guitar. He starts playing it. Next thing you know, he's organizing books. And I'm out there thinking he's avoiding me. I've been here all day with Nathan and the kids and he comes home and he goes in there and da 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 da. So I have made myself go in and tell the truth so I can hear the truth. 
So I've gone in and said, honey, I'm really mad because you came home and I feel like you ignored me. I feel like you don't care. I feel like you're avoiding me, blah, blah, blah. And then he'll look at me and go, oh, no, I was just trying to figure out the chords to the song. I'm sorry. I'll come out with you. And then you feel like an idiot, right? <laughs> Do you feel like part of that is believing the best about one another? Yes, that's something that that's Jesse and I talk a lot about. Thinking yeah. the highest. And I was thinking the lowest. And the only way to rebuke that thought is to say, here's what I was thinking so that I can be rebuked with the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Yeah, so going back to what you had previously shared about with the criticism that you experienced in California, when mm-hmm. as a pastor's wife, when you have you know experienced criticism and ultimately felt pain, how did you work through that difficulty, that rejection? How did you keep a soft heart and still maintain thick skin? Mm, So good. The height of a rhinoceros. (laughs) Well, first of all, we are humans. So I allow myself to emote. Mm. And when my heart is overwhelmed, I go to the rock that is higher than I. Amen. I will always go to him. Isaiah, I believe, where it says a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will no wise snuff out. Mm. He knows when my reed is so bruised that one more thing will break mm. it. He knows when the fire of my passion is just barely smoke and anything would just not fan the flame but diminish it. Wow. So I trust that he can handle my heart and he can handle my emotions. Therefore, mm. the Psalms are the great breadth of human emotion and God never shames them. But what does happen is it says, when my heart is overwhelmed, you lead me to the rock that is higher than myself. And so, you know, even David, I think in Psalm 73 said, you know, it really bummed me out when I saw the wicked prospering. And then those who are righteous are barely making it, God. And I that really, I was on a slippery slope. I was almost down for the count, God. And it Mm -hmm. said, then I entered the sanctuary of Mm -hmm. God. And I realized they're on a slippery slope and that this isn't all about here and now it's the now after and God will equalize things in his Mm -hmm. time. And so either in eternity, he will equalize it. And I guess as I get older, so I will say this to you as younger gals with time and God, everything gets equalized, healed or made right. Mm -hmm. So I have had countless people, trust me, over the years, be unkind, judging, critical. And I can't tell you, every blue moon, I'll get a phone call. Hi, I just wanted you to know years ago this happened and I didn't like you and I was critical. And I just had this thing happen in my life and I finally understand. I finally get it. And so if you cast your cares upon him and let him carry the burden, instead of you turning your heart into a stone and you're carrying the burden as stony heart, then he will right the wrong. So it's just time and God. So I try to cast my cares on him. You know, and Ezekiel talks about that God will do this heart surgery. It says he will take out their stony hearts and give them a heart of flesh. So I frequently say, Lord, heart of stone, (laughs) you're going to have to give me a flesh one back because it's really hard. But I can testify with time and God, he has righted so many people who have Mm. wronged. 
And in that season, Lenya, where you find yourself giving that to Jesus and these people are not asking for your forgiveness for their criticism or for their rejection, what does forgiveness look like for you in knowing that Christ has forgiven you? Humility. (laughs) Because when we're wronged, it's pride that puts up the roadblock or says eye for eye, tooth Mm -hmm. for tooth. Yes. Um, and we would have a blind, toothless society if we lived that way. It's only humility that if you humble yourself, that he will exalt you in due season. So a family member very much wronged me and trashed me to the rest of the family and disinvited me from holidays. And eventually I was invited to go to a shower of this person And it was like they thought they were giving me an olive branch, but I would be walking into the room of the haters. And I begged God not to go. Please, God, don't make me go. And he said, oh, you're going. And then he said to me, not only that, you're going to buy a really nice gift. And the whole way to this shower, I was crying and literally begging God to let me off the hook. And it was my pride. It was my pride. And when I got out of the car and walked into the room of those that I knew would not be generous toward me, it's like he did something incredible, miraculous in my heart. He broke my pride and I was better. So like I said, love is a choice. Sometimes you make a choice and it's very hard to choose against your pride. Humility is not an easy choice. So um, I guess God tells me to put on my big girl panties and cowgirl up and that obedience is better than sacrifice. And he would rather I am obedient to him. And in the obedience, it's like Abraham offering up Isaac. He'll go, oh, look, you don't have to do that. And not only that, I've provided for you. And so I'd say the hardest thing for me in those moments is abandoning my pride and walking in humility. And I have to say it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but it can be done. Jesus, who was in the form of God, considered himself not robbery to be equal with God, right? Humbled himself and took on the form of man. And man and humanity were terrible to him. Gossiped, betrayed, beat, crucified. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If I can have an attitude toward people that hurt me, where I can say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's a counselor and she works with the fire department and helping them in chaplaincy. And police and and, uh, firemen see the worst of humanity. I mean, it's bad out there. There are wife beaters, there are alcoholics, there are horrible things that they have to run to that scene, right? Right. And so she would raise her hands up as though on a cross and she'd say to them, when you see this humanity, just think of your hands up and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Again, most people don't know any better. They haven't experienced unconditional love. They don't know God. They don't know the principles of God. They've never had that shown to them. So Jesus understood, you know, sinners are sinners. Father, forgive them. They don't know. And so if I can 
adopt that attitude, God, they don't know. It's girlfriend gossiping about me. She doesn't know. Father, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. For me anymore, unless you flat out came to my face, insulted me or hit me, I have a lot of latitude and grace. Pretty much I try and think the highest and go, where did that come from? What was going on there? What was that person's day like? What is that person's life like? And I try and shrug it off. Yeah. Wow. And you have not had an easy road. This is not something that comes from just having an easy life that I think a lot of the time people listen to these things and they say, well, they don't, they don't understand how hard I've had it. They don't understand how mean this person was to me, but ultimately it is a reflection of our sinfulness. Every single moment of every single day, there is sin in our hearts and God continues to choose to forgive. But to hear that from you, is just, it's so genuine and it's so powerful and impactful and I know your a little bit of your story, Lenya, that you overcame cancer and that that was a trial in your life. And I hate to even say overcame cancer just in a few words because it seems flippant or dismissive. And I know that your story is so much more and greater than that. But from that point and all of the experiences that you've had, now you are continuing to do She Ministries, Reload Love, and all of these things are honoring God despite everything that you've gone through. So can you tell us a little bit just about your journey toward Reload Love, your heart behind it? I know we touched on it a little bit, but just what it is now and how it is impacting the world even further. Well, it's really prescient of you to even connect my cancer with Reload Love. That's kind of like a prophetic insight. Um, I didn't do reload love until after cancer and I'm about 10 years cancer free and reload love's been in the birthing period for maybe five years, but in reality for four or so. So I don't know if a brush with death makes you a greater risk taker. Hmm. You're like, well, I almost died. So now what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Really? Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. You know? yeah. And so there is a part about that. And I did read an article about vulnerability, um, which I haven't really uh, discussed with you, but it named the top eight things of people that are good at it. And one was trying new experiences. And three, accept that bad things happen. And five was vulnerable and connect with strangers. And so um, I think... The vulnerability of cancer and coming face to face with death made me bold to say other people out there are dying worse ways and there's no one to help them. Mm. So um, when ISIS hit Iraq, it came across Syria. The first area they hit is an area called Sinjar. It's a mountainous region, kind of like Albuquerque with the Sandias. Mm-hmm. And they came in quickly, and there are tribal people like our Native Americans. They're called Yasidis who lived in that region. And ISIS hated them. And they came in and committed genocide and mass graves. And they would divide. they go in house to house. All the people I spoke to, men in one room, women in another. The men were either taken to be soldiers or help, or they were killed so they could not form an army. Or when the women were raped or taken as sex traffic slaves. So they just left the young, old, and infirm. And to those, they said, go up the mountain. Sandia Mountain's almost 11,000 feet. New Mexico, the city is 5,000 feet. It'd be like telling all the old people, climb the mountain. 
you can go up there. And uh, when they got up there, ISIS had surrounded it, and there was no way for food or water. And in Iraq, it's like 118 in the summer. So people were dying up there. And they were sending helicopters with the UN and the United States trying to drop water or things to help them. And moms were trying to put babies on the helicopters to save them. And I was watching that on the news. And I just think if you actually put on God's heart, his unconditional agape heart, you go, God, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And really, most of us are disenfranchised from the news. Either A, we don't watch it. B, if we do watch it, we minimalize it or we go, yeah, that's a bummer. (laughs) Poor people. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we ask God the right question, I was asking him what you do for orphans and widows. And James says, pure and undefiled religion is that you help orphans and widows. Sometimes if you ask God the right question, you'll get the right answer. And so that's when I got this thing of, bullets and bracelets and babies. And God just kept opening doors before me so rapidly. That was the birth of Reload Love. And as a result, we built almost 25 playgrounds in Iraq and Syria and Jordan and Burma and Thailand and Cambodia. And um, this is, you know, I know that you've said who I am, Lindsay, but I am also just a little wife in Albuquerque. I do not have the skill set to start a corporation and ship things to places that I don't even know the shipping rules and how to get them. I'm not an engineer. I can't put a playground up. I'm not an ambassador. I can't walk into the tribal people and say, hey, where do you want a playground? I mean, so all of that was all God and he wanted to do something. And I was just silly enough to say, okay, I'll try that. And he kept saying, okay, I'll meet you. And I'll do it. And I will let you be a conduit, a vessel of love. And if you want me to pour my love into you and my cup overfloweth, then I will do that. So I think as an outcropping of cancer and my own pain was the empathy, the vulnerability to feel someone else's pain. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us, Anya. Thank you for your ministry and your care for the orphans and the widows. We are so thankful. I feel like just really encouraged. I truly do. I feel really encouraged by our conversation. I think this is going to bless a lot of people. What I try and encourage people is there is the power of the one, but also the power of us together. One person can't help those kids on Mount Sinjar. But if we all get together and we all do our part, we can do something. And so um, we're better together. We always say what, with Reload Love, join the lovement, that we're not just a movement, mm-hmm. we're a lovement. And if you want to join mm-hmm. other people who are willing to love the unlovely, go to the furthest parts of the world where no one else wants to go to an ISIS IDP camp. And if you want to go to those places, together we can do it. Alone, I would never be able to, but God has built up a team that has created this grassroots lovement. We just want to wield the most powerful weapon of all, and I believe that's our hearts. And I am an ex-hippie that is silly enough to believe that all you need is love. It's God's love. That terrorism is the problem, but God's love is the answer. And if we could somehow connect that, we'll change the world. 
And for the people who are listening, and once they get to ReloadLove.com, what are some ways that they can tangibly and actively help your mission to provide medical supplies and academic programs and safe spaces for the children? I think the starting place for all of us is knowledge. And I would say, ask God to open your eyes. Remember the blind man said, oh, Lord, that I might see. I would say, ask God to help you see the suffering. And if you see it, then you can't help but want to do something about it. And sometimes we really do have to say, Lord, I'm really blind to this segment of society. Show me. And then, you know, that our heart would be his heart. So I would say, pray for yourself that God will help you see, because we do want to turn away. Uh, There's a big part of it that viscerally wants to turn away. After you see, definitely pray because that's the next step. And prayer isn't just getting your will done. Prayer is when God changes our hearts. And prayer is when he puts his will inside your will. And then that is a bigger answer to prayer. So ask him to show you, pray, and no doubt he'll change your mind. You can wear the jewelry, and that's a really neat way of telling the story of just telling other people, then you become an ambassador. Right. Did you know, mm-hmm. you know, about the Yazidi people and da, da 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 and they're building playgrounds? And it's a good story. It's a story that you can um, brandish God's love. Love wins. And here's a circumstance right. that it did. And that will open a door for witnessing in the gospel. So if you just wear the jewelry, that would be super cool. Um, you can make donations. And of course, we could never sell enough jewelry to build the playgrounds we've played. So donations are fabulous as well. And then tell other people, you know, grassroots. You just tell right. other people. There's other people out there that are trying to do something. If you want to do something, join the love fund. And we will have, for all of you listening, we will have all of this information um, to find ReloadLove.com and then also at Lenya Heitzig on Instagram and at iReloadLove. We'll have that linked in the show notes below. So if you just scroll up from this episode and we are actually going to be advertising with ReloadLove on our podcast. So they're sponsoring Um, this podcast to reach more women to share the gospel through the Milk and Honey podcast and to make known all of the efforts and the ministry going through Reload Love. So we're so thankful for you, Lenya. We are just really grateful to have your voice and your heart. And thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. We're better together. Thank you for uh, just uh, joining forces and uh, being able to have harmony and conversation and vulnerability. It was Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Milk and Honey Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a second to visit our page on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It would mean so much to us. Your review helps the show to be found by other women like you, and it also helps us to continuously grow and become better as a podcast. For a daily pick-me-up, follow me, Lindsay, on Instagram at Sparrows and Lily and Amorous at Amorous Beecher. Tune in next week for more laughter, fun, hope, and encouragement. Bye, guys.